Hello, I'm Janice Wallaby, School Safety and Security Specialist. Welcome to the Harris County Department of Education Center for Safe and Secure Schools Take Care Tuesday podcast. This week's episode celebrates Black History Month by having a conversation with Christy Tisdom, principal of Charles R. Drew Elementary, located in historic Barrett Settlement, Texas, in Crosby ISD. Barrett Settlement was founded by a former slave known as Harrison Barrett and has been registered in the Texas Land Heritage as Texas Century Farm. Born into slavery, Barrett was the son of Simon and Lisa Barrett, who came to Texas from Louisiana. He had three brothers and two sisters. Following the emancipation of Texas slaves in 1865, Barrett spent several years gathering his family together. He eventually found all of them except one sister, and they settled on part of Reuben White's league east of San Jacinto River and purchased the land for 50 cents an acre in 1889. It became one of the largest holdings in Harris County to be acquired by a former slave. Join us for a conversation with Christy Tisdom to understand how she integrated her love for learning and the history of Barrett Settlement to build a firm foundation from the past to lead Drew Elementary into a very bright, safe, and secure future. morning with Christy Tisdom. She's a wonderful principal that I met while I was out doing security audits, safety and security audits. And what really intrigued me about uh, Ms. Tisdom and also her school, Drew Elementary, was when I was walking around, I could feel something. And, and I didn't really understand what it was, but you could just feel it in the school. Uh, and then I met Ms. Tisdom and she showed me a mural that was on her wall and it reflected so much pride. And I figured out that was pride I was feeling. That was pride that I was feeling that was all around the school. So I want to take the time to have Ms. Tisdom introduce herself and give us, a res- uh, first of all, give us a uh, perspective on her what her journey was to get to Drew Elementary and tell us a little bit about it. Good morning. Good morning. Um, thank you, Janice, for having me. Um, I really appreciate it. And I'm, I'm glad you felt that on our campus because that's something that we feel every day. And so uh, with you coming on our campus for that short amount of time, you know, um, that speaks volumes that you were able to feel that. But um, I do want to introduce myself. I am a wife. Uh, I am a mother of two beautiful children, um, a, a daughter, a sister, educator and a lifelong learner. Um, And I know a lot of people say that, but I am truly a lifelong learner. Um, I'm a native Chicagoan, born and raised. Um, That is where I experienced my first educational experiences. Um, I was actually at a language academy where I was able to learn Spanish. And I wanna say that helped me in this position that I am in today. Oh, wow. Mm -hmm. Yes. Um, At that time, you were able to choose what language and my parents chose Spanish. Um, I attended Gramlin State University where I received my um, bachelor's in education and I pledged the sorority Zeta Phi Beta. Um, Right after college, graduating, I returned to Chicago and 
I attended Concordia University, Chicago and received a master's in curriculum and instruction. Okay, now I did tell you I was a lifelong learner. Right. <laughs> Upon coming, moving to Houston, I attended the University of Houston Clear Lake and received an additional master's in educational leadership. Wow. Okay, now I am a doctoral candidate at Concordia University, Chicago. I am approximately 46 weeks from receiving my doctoral degree. Kudos, kudos. Thank you, thank you. So when I tell you lifelong learner, lifelong learner. Um, I will say that my journey in education, when it started in elementary school, um, I had some phenomenal teachers, phenomenal. Um, but with that, it led me to actually going to school to be an educator. Um, I started my career in Chicago public schools. Love that experience being a product of where I came from. Mm -hmm. I enjoyed that experience. I was there for four years. From those four years, uh, my family, we decided that moving to Texas was the best uh, for our opportunity for our family. So we moved. In moving, I will tell you, Janice, I applied to numerous places and had interviews. Um, I received a lot of interviews being a Chicago public school teacher. Mm -hmm. There were some places I got up and truly declined wow. the interview. Um, I realized that it was not a good fit. I realized just from the questions that they were asking me, that's not where I wanted to be. Where it wouldn't expand what you know or what you, what you wanna do or? Well, not really expand on what I want to do. It was just teaching kids. Like okay. when your when your questions on your interview was strictly about behavior, nothing about instruction. That kind of lets you know what your priorities are. Mm -hmm. And so, um, I I immediately I said, you know what? I appreciate this opportunity, but I said I don't believe that this is where I need to be. And um, I got up and left. <laughs> um, and I don't I don't regret doing so. I will tell you that I had an interview in Crosby ISD. It was a small town outside of Houston. Um, at the time, I liked it because the area that I was looking for was in this northeast part of Houston. So I interviewed, when I tell you, I interviewed at Newport Elementary with uh, Christy Coven being the principal, and she still is the principal today. Uh -huh. When we sat down for an interview, it was like family. Wow. We were crying together at my interview. <laughs> um, I knew that this was the place that I needed to be. And so um, she asked me one question and just to show you the difference in questioning, she said, if you leave Chicago, what would be the thing that you would miss most? And to me, it was family. And so we sat there and when I tell you, we all cried because I knew that would be the hardest thing for me to leave. Wow. Today, okay. Mm -hmm. But from that, I made it to the parking lot. At that time, I received a call from the superintendent, Mike Joseph, saying, hey, my principal loved you. Please come meet with me. At that time, the superintendent met every person that was hired in the district. Mm -hmm. Well, I had a plane flight out. So I, I said, can you meet me now? He said, sure. I went over there and we hit it off. And I said, this is where I need to be. This is 
this is the place. Now it wasn't the place for money. It wasn't a place where you comparing and looking at salary. It was not that my choice was not for that. It was because I knew it was a family. Right. Wow. Wow. I decided to, um, I worked at Newport for seven years as a fourth grade. uh, No, not four years, seven years as a fourth grade ELA teacher. Um, After obtaining my master's in administration, I, um, I received a position at Barrett. At that time, it was Barrett Primary School. Mm-hmm. And I was there under the leadership of Karen Walthall. And so it was there that I got my experience with uh, our first and second grade babies. Because the way our school district, we had an elementary, which was third and fourth. You had your kindergarten center. Excuse me, I'm going to start there. Then you had your primary, which was our first and second grade building. You had your third and fourth grade building, which was the elementary school in which I came. Then you had your intermediate, which was fifth and sixth, your middle school, which was seventh and eighth. And then the students went to high school. Okay. So um, at that time. And so after um, being an AP for two and a half years, um, the position at Drew became available at Christmas time. And so the principal who was here, he had received a promotion. And so... um, I said, you know what, I'm going after this. And so I will say I received this position in January. I started January 24th, 2017. Okay. All right. So you have, you have grown, you have, you transitioned into the Crosby area and then just transitioned across the Crosby area. Yeah. Um, Cause I've been at Newport doing audits and I've been at Drew total different sides of towns. Yes. Total. So what did you experience as far as the shift as you move from Newport into Drew? Tell us some, some experience about as you were arrived at Drew. What did you find? Well, okay. So we have to remember Drew was an intermediate school. So when in 2017, when I became principal, that was the first half of year that they were an elementary school because our school, um, our district actually we had a redistricting of campuses. We start having neighborhood campuses rather than shifting kids all over the district, only being at a school for two years. Mm-hmm. Uh, we wanted to do more fo- uh, focused instruction because when you only have a kid for two years, now they have to get used to another campus. That campus has to get used to them. So we felt as a district that having the kids and having neighborhood schools would be a better, um, better instructionally and socially for our students. Um, so in that first half, I wanna say in, in January when I arrived at Drew, the difference was that Drew was still, it had still had the feel of an intermediate school. Okay. Um, when you walk into Newport, you can tell just by tone, laughter, um, the walls, the entrance, um, the songs that are being sung, that it is an elementary school. Mm-hmm. Well, that I felt was the biggest thing that was missing here at Drew. When you walked in, they had murals. Um, I want to say, it, but the walls were bare. Okay. You know, um, when it wasn't talking in, like an elementary school. It wasn't. It wasn't an elementary school. Even the communication mm-hmm. to students, to parents. Um, we can even go as far as our um, dismissal line, our car pickup. You know, um, at a at an intermediate school, students are able to say, "Hey, that's my car," and go get in it. 
you know, and you can trust at a middle school level, hey, they're getting in their car, you trust that. At an elementary school, you can't do that. You have to go in, you have to make sure one, that that's the correct parent that is supposed to pick up that child at the the day and time that they're supposed to do so. You know, when we're speaking on safety, that is a major component. Right. You're looking at uh, elementary school. So um, it was just some things that the whole field and the, the teachers felt it. And so going into Drew, um, one thing that I, I did, and I had got this uh, idea from one of our former superintendents, Dr. Moore. He said, when you go in, listen to your staff. Mm-hmm. And so I went in the first week. I just observed. I was observing the hallways, processes, procedures, um, the master schedule, things in that, of that nature. Um, the next week, I walked into each planning time and I had post-it notes. I said, you know what I need from every person? Now, I didn't do just teachers. I did cafeteria staff, front wow. office staff, custodians. I said, I'm going to give you these post-it notes and I want you to tell me what do you want to see at Drew? What do you feel that's needed? What do you feel that is missing? I will tell you, Janice, I still have those post-it notes. Wow. Yeah. It was something as, as a working fax machine. Um, it was recess, how dismissal is done. It was small things for the most part. Um, it was behavior. It was um, holding students and teachers accountable. It was just starting things across the board. Um, Weekly or monthly office meetings with the office staff. It was just certain things that you say, okay, this is what you want. Well, in doing so, that let me know the things that needed to be changed from the things that I noticed as well. But it also gave the the teachers the buy-in when these changes were happening. Yeah. Yeah. You, you did a lot of foundational stuff that really set up the culture that I experienced yes. as I'm hearing you. I mean, the inclus- including everybody, you know, because it's about the kids. Absolutely. Like you said, and from your interview, just understanding that it's about kids, not how we discipline them, but how do we make them successful people, citizens? And I, lo- I love that part of it. And absolutely including everybody. Yes. Yeah. So that sounds wonderful. Well, what do you think that you're, so you walked in and you, you, you took care of that. As you took care of the foundation, what successes did you see happen at Drew for you? We start seeing behavior. Um, we start seeing that behavior decrease. You know, um, some things that we noticed, the kids were not, um, the expectation Not to say it wasn't there, but the kids were not rising to the expectation that was set. So we had to put some things in place like a PBIS program. We had to um, hold the teachers accountable for what Mm -hmm. they teach because when um, I originally took over the school, it was considered a focus school. That is the step right before um, an IR. (laughs) You know, so when we came in, our letter grade through uh, TEA was a letter D. It was a D rating. So that means that kids were not learning. Um, Kids were not growing at the rate that they needed to. Um, So when we speak about successes, one success I can tell you is that our kids start growing. We start growing kids. Mm -hmm. We went from a letter D to a letter B within a year. We actually um, received a distinction 
we received a top 25 distinction in our in our subgroup, which was a goal of mine. It was a goal, it was a goal for the school. It was a goal for the teachers. It was a goal for the students. It was a goal for the parents. Um, I wanted that pride that you felt. I wanted our parents to experience that because with moving in and, and redistricting the district, some parents were not happy to be zoned to Drew because they didn't feel that their kids would get the quality education that they, they deserved and that they wanted them to have. And so my thing was, I knew what they, as any parent would, the expectation for a parent, because I'm a parent. Right. And so I wanted to bring that to Drew and we have that now. We are berating with every other campus, elementary campus in our district. So your kid is not, your kid is getting the same, if not more here at Drew. And I wanted to make sure that that, we made sure that that was a, a priority because no one wants to send their kid to a failing school. And that was another thing that we implemented. I wanted my teachers to have their kids come to our school. Yes. That yes. was sticky for me because mm -hmm. I feel like you're invested. The same way you want your, the education you want for your child, you will be able to produce that for someone else's. Yeah, produ producing a, a feeling, a pride also gives a feeling of safety. Yeah. Safety, not only physical, but the emotional safety that somebody has that, that every, like you said, every parent wants that. I don't care who you are. Every parent wants their kids to be successful and with success comes safety and with safety becomes academic success. It just, yeah. it just, it just rolls together. That, that is incredible. Um, the, the, the thing that also that I noticed when I drove into, when I was driving over to your campus, um, I saw these uh, signs in the neighborhood. They were all historical signs. And it was talking about um, Barrett Settlement. And I did not, and that's what connected me to that mural. Once I, once I uh, connected what I was walking around, walking around in pride, I remembered the signs I saw outside and then I saw the mural. And I asked you a question and I want you to, to, to do it for me today is what, what is that mural about? How does it impact? I mean, we talked about safety, but to me that just was so, uh, what you told me was so rich about culture. So can you share the Barrett story? Well, um, I'm gonna tell you, I'm, I'm one that when we put paint on a wall, we have, it has to have meaning. I mean, we could have easily put a, a, a schoolhouse or a pencil or anything on that particular wall. My thing was, I wanted to pay homage to the history of Drew, the history of Barrett. Um, I kind of look at this school as a canvas, that first part, because, you know, we have the safety door. So that entryway, mm -hmm. I feel like that is the past. Um, when you come in and you go through those doors, that is the future. Wow. Um, and and we're doing so is because now where Drew, and I'm, I'm going to talk about the mural, Drew um, was, it was the African-American school. It was the school where um, before segregate, uh, before desegregation, where all of the African-Americans had to go to school. Um, today, we look totally different. We're 60% Hispanic, 30% African-American, and 10% Caucasian. So um, I wanted to pay homage mm -hmm. to, to our past, but when you go in and you see the different murals, especially, and I'm not sure if you saw the ones by the cafeteria, but we have the multicultural students and different tones and shapes and sizes wow. and likenesses. So it's, it's painting a picture when you're walking in the school with the murals, but the mural on which you're speaking of 
it is paying homage to Harrison Barrett. Okay. Harrison Barrett was a slave in Texas. Um, we know that during the Emancipation Proclamation, the slaves in Texas were not uh, freed the same time the other ones were. But when Harrison was freed, um, he decided to go find his family. We know through slavery, families were broken. They were taken to different places. Well, at this time, he decided to find his family. Well, right now, that doesn't sound like a hard feat to do because mm -hmm. we have social media, we have telephones, we have Google. At that time, in 1865, can you imagine right. to find all of your siblings and parents? And he found everyone but one. So to think mm -hmm. about that, he found all of them but one in a time where there was no ancestry match or no stuff, oh. all that stuff you can look for, right? And so that's, I mean, I'm astonished just at that. Um, when I tell you he grew this area, and so I will tell you that at the time, and I want to say um, upon his death in 1917, he had, uh, he owned more land. Um, he had more land than any other black man in this, in the Harris County area. Okay. Okay. So this area, he um, had a sawmill, they had a coffee mill. Um, they built churches, had schools. It was an area, it was a community. And um, he had his family, they all had homes in this area, which is, I mean, if you just Think about that, Janice. We're talking 1865, a landowner. Right, right. Acres and acres of land. If that's not intriguing to you, I just, you know, that's what it, it actually, um, I had to go read the book. Okay. Because I, I had to go read the book. Um, but we also, it's also a movie about his, about everything with him. But on that mural, it's a picture of him. I found one picture in the book um, that I was reading. And so it has him at the top. Now, on top of him, he is actually on top. And Janice, do you have a picture of the mural? I do have a picture of the mural. I do. Okay. So on top, he is actually on top of the tree. And so when I speak to different people who have are descendants of Harrison Barrett or have lived in Barrett, they always talked about the tree. And so mm. on this tree, that's why I have him there. And in there, it said the day that I was freed was the day that I was born. And it has Harrison Barrett. Wow. Wow. And so um, that was actually taken out of the book. So it's on a scroll on the in the actual mural because it's showing the day that he was free was the day that he was able to dream and, and believe that those dreams could come true. And so within that mural, I wanted to pay homage to his siblings and his parents. So you see a silhouette of their faces and they have their names in the mural. On top of that, we had a teacher at Drew uh, who had taught over 50 years and they always spoke about her singing. So in this mural, I tried to incorporate the history of the community and the school. And so they would always speak on how she would read under this tree. So we have a picture of her reading to some kids under the tree. Mm -hmm. uh, Drew, when it was a segregated school, they had their own marching band and majorettes. And so that was a major component. I've looked through yearbooks and I saw that, you know, so many people in the community, they were a part of these teams. And so I wanted to pay homage to that as well. 
And then inside the trunk of the tree, they were known as the Charles R. Drew dragons. So that's why it is a dragon inside the trunk of the tree. Wow. And, it, and listeners, and I will make sure that you get a reference for what she's saying, because mysticism, as you're describing that, I'm seeing what I saw. It, it is, and it seems like a, there'll be a, there's a lot all over, but it's so simplistic when you just look at it. But as you look deeper, you get more and you get you more, get more and meaning. you get more and you get more meaning. And so um, I, I love how you said that as you walk through those secure doors, you walk onto a firm foundation of Barrett. But then you open the door and you walk into the dream and the possibilities of all the cultures that you have in that building. And I just love the fact that honoring the culture, honoring the base of Barrett, where it comes from. I mean, as I was looking up and I, I've read more on Barrett, I'm, try, I'm trying to read more because I was truly intrigued about it. And one of the uh, things they rich, they say they're a community rich in heritage, education and pride and community pride. And uh, for children to understand that coming into Barrett, what special place they're coming into. And then for you to have the expectation that you have that they rise to that level, but not only them, but the teachers teach to that level. I just think that's, a, that's an awesome, awesome thing. Um, well, and I'm gonna tell you, Janice, we have so many descendants of Harrison Barrett that go to our school. Yeah, that's what I wanted you to share because you, you, you did share that with me. You were talking to students and they were letting them know about their culture and they found out. So share more about that. I don't want to talk over it. Well, I mean, we have, I mean, if you look at different generations, I'll tell you a lot of my staff, they are products of Barrett wow. Station. Um, my assistant principal, she actually attended Drew in the fifth and sixth grade. My account, uh, my, my um, secretary, she was at Drew High School when it was a high school and when it was a segregated school. Um, I can go on and on. I have teachers who attended Drew and are now teaching at Drew. But the, I think the best part of it is we have teachers who have grown up in this community and to have siblings or not siblings, but family members who live here. And I think that helps us because we have, like I said, we have school board members who are descendants of Harrison Barrett, who come in and just yesterday marveled at looking and saying, you know, that's my great, great grandfather. I mean, wow. it's just amazing to see that, you know? That gives, that gives me chills, absolutely. And it's the feeling that I got when I went there because I did interview, I came out one day before and I interviewed your assistant principal. And we were, and I, this is before I knew about the mural and she was just describing and talking about it. And she was saying, and I care because I went here. And she was just talking about all the things that you, that you guys were doing as a team that she was responsible for as assistant principal, all the, you know, the, the bits and pieces about safety and security. I mean, she, you could tell it was bought into. And the other thing that I saw, cause you, we are in a COVID situation, we're in pandemic and you guys had the protocol down pat. I'll give you kudos on that. And your secretary, the way that she greeted and, and the way that you guys had it set up so that parents were greeted and treated with total respect, total culture, but in a total safe environment, not busting the protocol to make people feel better, but to making them feel better just by treating them the way that you did. And so when you say that she's also a product of Barrett, you could, you could, you could see that. So well, that's me too, just knowing families. You know, um, I've taught in this community for so long now. 
So now I'm seeing siblings or children of students that I've taught. So I think that's the best part, not necessarily about Drew, but about Crosby, is that we have a community where everyone stays in this community. And so you know each other. And so that helps to build that culture and that trust where I know Ms. Tisdom. I know that, you know, what she says is guess what? I know she has my my best and the well-being of my child when she speaks to me about a certain topic, whether it is um, you know, maybe talking about referring your child for special needs or even looking at a discipline issue. That way we're trusting and saying, you know what, Ms. Tisdom is not going to tell me, tell me something that is not true about my child. And then she's going to help me to figure out what can we do to help this problem and make it where your child is successful in school. So, and that's not just with Ms. Tisdom, that's with my teachers, that's with my, my front office staff, that's because, you know, I, my, my bilingual clerk, because now I have a large population of bilingual students I have to make sure that we address that culture piece so that way they can communicate. I cannot tell you how often um, parents are shocked when they see me communicate. I told you, I, and that's when I told you, going to that language academy has helped me in this position because I have 60% Hispanic students. Guess what? When I have to do a recording for safety on the campus, I can record it at home and don't have to wait for someone to do it for me. Amen. <laughs> you have a very good accent <laughs> <laughs> and that that is so important because that's all parents are asking us to do is to see them yes. to respect them to keep their kids safe to yes. teach their kids everything that they need to know and so i'm sure that is so so appreciated so appreciated we have a model in the center for safe and secure schools we say we go out to help districts and schools keep schools safe so teachers can teach and students can learn. It's just that very basic thing. But the thing that I love so much about your story and all the things that you sh you're sharing with us right now is how you integrate all that in. Uh, it, it's not taken separately. You know, people say, well, we got to worry about safety and we got to worry about discipline. We got to worry about whatever. We got to worry about making kids successful. And that is what I hear through your story, how you just integrated all that in. Uh, so I'm excited for the future of, of Drew. What do you see down the road? What are, what are, what are the, the goals? What are the things that you're shooting for? What do you want to see for Drew Elementary as you move? Well, I can tell you, Janice, I've never, I, you couldn't have told me I would have seen COVID coming. Um, <laughs> you know, um, but I see that we, you know, we're in the business of growing kids. And when you talk about students uh, missing or having virtual learning, you know, um, and you talk about socioeconomic and some kids missing or even knowing how to navigate the computers. You know, I see us still, you know, um, my goal is for us to be an A. I believe we can do it. I believe we have the kids. I believe we have the staff. And I believe we have the want to do it. Mm -hmm. um, I see us not taking a step back, but doing it in a different way. What we've okay. used in processes that we've used um, before is changing now because the dynamic of our world has changed. Mm -hmm. You know, you may have kids worried about that they have loved ones who are contracting COVID and, and probably won't come back to school. You know, our community has been hit pretty hard. And I think that's another gem about Drew and the Bear community is that when we know, you know, we may know the night before that a student has lost a loved one because it's such a close-knit family. And then we start speaking at night how we can help that child, what things we can put in place for that family. 
before they even come to school before we see the the next morning right Um, right. so i I see us prospering um i see us excelling i see the sky is the limit you know you always say shoot for the stars because you'll land on the cloud i always uh set high goals and for our campus because i feel like if we don't set them high we'll settle for mediocrity right um there's nothing, especially when you when you think about me and, and schooling, there's nothing mediocre about me. I try to um I, I try to excel in anything that I do. I do. And so I want that for my students. I want that for my staff. Now, do I push them? Um I push them enough because we have that culture and that climate, enough where I know they won't break, but because we celebrate and we cry on each other's shoulder. And, you know, we have those times, we all depend on each other. It's just a circle, it's a family. But I believe we can get there. Now, uh, you you brought up uh, bringing up COVID and the challenges of it. You guys came back uh, when I was out there, I guess I was out there in October. At what percentage were you and where are you now? Mm -hmm. Well, at that time when you were here, we were less than 50%. Okay. Um, we had the highest remote student population at that time. And I knew that we would based on the fact of this community being hit so hard. I cannot tell you how many times either on social media or just when we're speaking in the front office about what are we doing today or our conversations, you know, how many families have lost loved ones. Um, So, I mean, just looking at that, we have grown. We are now, I will say we are over 50%. We are at about 75, 80. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're steadily bringing kids back to school, but we have some awesome district online teachers who are trying to address gaps and concerns. But, you know, just like anything, you want your kids here. You right. want to see them. Um, you want to be able to help them because sometimes at home, you may not have someone who can help you with your schoolwork. So, you know, or the kid may not be comfortable with navigating. We found in, in my research with doing my dissertation, I found that the majority of kids know how to maneuver social sites, uh, social apps, but not necessarily, um, you know, interactive sites for learning. Exactly. So, it's, a, it's a different environment. It is. Yes. They, you know, they have the, they have the acumen to do it. It's just, you got to teach them how to navigate, change from the entertainment side to the learning side. Yes. And so the majority of our kids, you know, just looking at research, um, the majority of uh, socioeconomic kids, they use it for, they use technology for social aspects and not necessarily. So we have to look at that and um, take that in consideration as well. Okay. Okay. So um, with COVID is so it's changes has changed the whole whole thing right and we have to be flexible so this right now we're in the stage where we are having the vaccine starting to roll out are you guys getting any information on that or how are you guys uh, impacted by the vaccine rollout um well you know right now if just watching the news when something gets rolled out you know you have nine minutes and then there are no more, you know, no more appointments. And so when you look at it, like we have some staff members who have received the vaccination, um, you have others, because of course you wanna make sure the, the people who get it first are the people who need it. Um, a lot of us, we have a, a kind of median when we look at our, um, our staff, 
we have a nice amount of young staff members, uh, but we also have some older ones who have some health concerns. So um, with doing so, I think everyone is kind of on the same page that we want everyone in our community and in our area to make sure that the first ones who get it are the ones who need it first. And then we will start looking into that. But we do not have the vaccination part, but I will tell you that our community center and some of our neighborhood churches, they have been doing I mean, a phenomenal job in offering um, COVID testing. Okay. And so we've been seeing them. I will say um, Mount Rose, Mount Rose Church, they had, um, they had a nice setup for um, the community area for parents to, uh, not parents, but for community people, whether kids or adults to come and get tested, which was good because what was, no what was being noticed is that we didn't have an area for, we didn't have a testing site. And so you say, go get tested, but there was nothing in our area for, for parents or students to get tested. Mm -hmm. So that, so now that that need has been met and I love how you say how your staff is staying in contact because of the community aspect, you guys are staying in contact to see where people are and what their needs are and moving on from that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it is, it is truly, um, it's truly a pleasure to hear you, to, to see you again, first of all, and to hear you share with such passion uh, your, first of all, your, your uh, desire to be educated yourself and then to bring that skill into the classroom and not just look at it from an academic standpoint. I know that's truly where you, where you fit, but I just see such a care and a human connection that you make with people um, that that's an awesome thing. Um, the one thing I want the visitors to know, we have been trying to set this up for a while and we had a little uh, scheduling conflict, but it was a good conflict. Uh, and I just wanted you to share about your, your son, who's right there in the community with you. And yeah. uh, they and had I some success. I do. I bring my kids to school with me. My kids, they are, they have been at in Crosby school since they were able to walk, but we were blessed to our football team to go to the state championship. And so that's why me and Janice, we continuously <laughs> miss each other due to scheduling conflicts because as a mother, I run and, you know, I run <laughs> for my kids. I do. I run for my kids. And so they were able to go to the state championship and our, our school has not gone to the state championship since 1960. And wow. so it was just a phenomenal effort to get there. And um, we were not a ranked team. No one expected us to make it. But every week we were taking down teams that had not lost this year. And wow. uh, we defied the odds every week. And so it was just, it was a, a, a really good experience for our students, for our football players, um, for our community. We feel like it brought our community together. Um, and I think the football team did it with the community on their backs and just to see the community come out, the send-offs. Um, when I tell you, Janice, I get goosebumps thinking on how the community came out to send our boys off, um, the, to go in and to see there was no one, uh, you know, there was no space on Crosby's side because everyone was there. You know, people and businesses were posting signs, Crosby is closed, you know, go <laughs> And, you know, it, it's the things that you laugh at, but guess what? Crosby was closed because everyone was at the game. <laughs> um, it, was, it was just phenomenal to see the ride that they took us on, to see the other little Cougar, you know, Cougar players that are, that'll be coming up in, you know, in seven or eight years, looking up to these players because 
we, you know, no one expected us to be here. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and that just tells you when you don't have that expectation, you have nothing to lose. You go out there and you, you do what you're supposed to do. And I feel like, you know, um, you, you can take that and have that attitude in anything that you, you do, you go out and you don't worry what people think about you. You right. go and you do what's right and you do what you're supposed to do and you do your job. And, you know, those boys showed us so much than just playing a football game. They really did. I love the term you said, defying the odds. That is so appropriate for that situation and for this time uh, with COVID, just defying the odds and going and doing what you need to do. And as you talk about the future of your campus, taking everything that we learned in COVID and, and making it and growing from that and just making it better. So the kids, we feel those, we close off those gaps and everything that you want for them can be given for them. And I, I just think that was a, a cool way to kind of end our conversation to let people know that we're human. You know, we deal with all of these things and you talk so eloquently about all the things that you want to do and what you want to do. But when the when you talked about your son, the pride just came out um, because that's that human connection. That's that thing that makes you a great principal. That's that thing that makes you a great person. And I'm so delighted that I got to meet you. And I know we'll be talking more and spending more time um, I, I want to spend more time in the um, Crosby area and working with you guys on a lot of different things because I think that there's a lot of synergies and things that we can do there. And um, it was a pleasure. Well, As Jennifer, I'm going to surprise you. Okay? okay. Okay. Because you are now an honorary Barrett community member. You are researching it. And that's the thing. When you research it, I'm not from this area, but when I tell you the pride that I have for the Barrett Crosby community, you know, um, it just, like I said, it takes over you. And so as you're learning about the community, I want you to know, and I'm gonna have to get your address. I am going to send you a shirt that has the sign. <laughs> yay, yay. Yeah. Oh, thank you, thank you. <laughs> I'm, glad I, I'm glad I'm a lifelong learning doing the work. I got a shirt. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So as you go on your journey of learning about Barrett, you can definitely wear that sign and speak on it to people. Because when I tell you there's not too many communities in America that have been founded and lived in and, um, and just blossomed the way that Barrett Station has. So I just want you to definitely be able to remember our experience and just, you know, um, you coming and seeing the mural and the pride that you felt. So Okay, well, I appreciate it. Thank you a lot, Ms. Tisdom, and we'll be talking to you later. Okay. Bye-bye. And we come to the end of another episode of Take Care Tuesday Podcast. Find more Take Care Tuesday Podcasts wherever you get your podcasts. And be sure to follow us on Twitter at CSSS underscore HCDE. Facebook, HCDE, Center for Safe and Secure Schools, or find us online at www.hcde-texas.org by clicking on Education Services and then Safe and Secure Schools. Thanks for listening, and remember, stay safe, stay secure, and take care.